Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And today we have uh, Chris Zyshegg. Is that how you pronounce it? That That's as close as I think we're going to get. Yeah, that was All right, great. very good. All right, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. And I'm Jonathan. So Chris, tell us a little about yourself for people who don't know. Uh... What, what? Yeah, what should I say? Well, I guess I'm on the podcast mostly uh, to talk about a new book. So I'm I'm an author. I have uh, four books out. The most recent is called The Magician, which is kind of a um, a horror slash auto fiction story about uh, I don't know a lot of things. Uh, but I I think probably at this point people's more people still know me as um, the ex-porn guy, Danny Wild, which um, I guess is fine. I'm, I'm really fucking over it, though. I've been out of the industry for a while, but I did spend like nearly a decade fucking for a living. So I guess, you know, it's out there. But I think it's probably fading away. I fucking hope. Shit. <laughs> 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 Damn, I can I can mean I mean if you're trying to distance yourself from it and whatnot, that sounds definitely good. I could see why that would be like really annoying and whatnot because well, you're just trying to move on to a next part. Well, it's not even like I care that much. I just the the sort of aftermath of getting out of porn, which I don't know if we'll discuss that, but I, just like the past six years or so, I just have come to hate it. I just hate it. It's just so fucking boring um it's i mean i guess it was fun to like have sex in movies when i was in my 20s but all this sort of business around it i just find uh, unbearable at this point and i really i'm almost out i have a few clients who actually i work for in production and post-production a little bit and they're lovely people and i i love a lot of the people that i met in porn but i just i just really hate it at this point <laughs> to be yeah. honest I mean, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like that. It sounds like you express a little bit of that in the book as well. I would say so. Cause it seems oh, oh, like, yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, how close is the main character Chris to you in this story? Would you say? Well, so I started writing that book about five years ago. And at that point in my life, it was probably one of like the, the most tumultuous <laughs> uh, times professionally, emotionally, and otherwise. I had recently um, quit the adult industry, uh, kind of for medical reasons, actually, but it just put my whole life in a kind of firestorm as I wasn't prepared for that financially. And it was kind of my whole uh existence in a way and then i had entered this relationship which is kind of talked about in the beginning of the book which was also just fucking ridiculous and it's weird to to look back on it now because i'm in such a different place and I, I would say i'm much happier actually um so it's it's kind of strange to think about it as uh, having to do with my real life. But at the time, yeah, I, I would say probably the first 50 pages or so before there's like really extreme violence or anything is um, not 100 percent true, but it's it's very fixed in a reality that was going on at that time in my life. So. 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> very, very interesting. Uh, you said that it took you about, I mean, you've been writing this over for five years, correct? Um, uh, yeah, like on and off. Uh, on and off. But it took me probably that long in, in total, yeah. I had to stop in the middle to work on a different book that another publisher had had kind of green lit. So it was about two and a half years, then I took about a year off, and then I came back to it and, and uh, did quite a bit of work on it for another year or two. Um, in the beginning, I believe you're going to, was it AL Anon meetings and whatnot? Did you actually uh, attend some of those in real life or? Yeah, like Al-Anon, which is essentially yeah. um, the, the 12-step version. So, you know, there's like Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. Narcotics yeah. Anonymous. Uh, what they call Al-Anon is people who are like friends or family of addicts, essentially. So, you know, the, people get into these like patterns of, I guess, enabling addiction and so forth. And I didn't have a lot of experience with that. I just, it was, again, <laughs> it's weird to talk about this relationship because it's so, um, it's so in the past, but like, yeah, I guess uh, it affected me heavily, and I was tr like watching this person, uh, you know, try to kill themselves on a very regular basis, and um, I was just very emotionally involved. So uh, yeah, seeing someone like OD once a week, and then <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, uh, I, I guess I, I yeah, I was going. I tried going to some Al-Anon meetings. It didn't end up being my thing, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I've had some some past experience with um, addicts and whatnot, and being involved with them, things like that, but like romantically. So I can totally, I totally kind of kind of see where you're coming from for sure when it comes to just you know seeing them, you know, waste themselves all the time. It's pretty pretty sad. But anyway, um, not I, to I will say though, um, Al Anon, I've never heard before your book. So I mean, it is giving. A little bit of awareness for a lot of people who don't know what i mean people that are addicted to addictive personalities or they have friends or family that are addicted to something and trying to enable or support them or try their best to just be a person for them so uh yeah well interesting i guess yeah it's not i don't think it's as common of a thing and, and the in the addictive quality of being a, into people who are drug addicts or alcoholics is like a it's not as a black and white thing you know what i mean but you're supposed to go through the same 12 steps apparently yeah no cool. very yeah i didn't i didn't know that about i didn't even know what uh what al-anon was before either i didn't even know they had like a program for that so it's it is interesting i think merg brings up a good point about uh, how it brings awareness to that idea so it could be helpful to some but being addicted to addictive personalities is also an interesting <laughs> point as well. Didn't even consider that about it. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I mean, maybe that's a good byproduct of it, but I also, um, I'm really against having a kind of, uh, <laughs> an ideological bent to to my work at this point so if it's helpful to people i guess that's good but i almost rather it not be <laughs> <laughs> okay i got you 
so uh, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, Black Magic. Do you have any knowledge or books that you've read that informed you on um, how the character deals with it in this book? Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, what can I cite? I mean, I don't know if you guys got to the end of the book. It's kind of fat, but um, it has a kind of... Uh, uh, a resignation to not really understanding any of this. So, and I think that mirrors a process that I went through. Um, so there was, I think at the beginning of this book, like a or beginning of writing this book, this intention of mine to really um, fuck with my life in a, in a kind of negative way. And, you know, the relationship that's mentioned um, because we were both sex workers or who I'd, I don't know. I guess we were both actively sex workers at the time. My ex had like this sugar daddy guy and he was, um, I don't know how like evil he was in, objectively, but certainly like I, he and I did not get along and uh, I th he threatened to kill me on a number of occasions. And so I had felt <laughs> this idea to, to kind of mix some sort of like magic or in the, in the sense of like performance art to try to figure out like how, how you might kill someone in the real world with this. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I believe that it would work, but I thought it would be like an interesting concept for like art. Although it sounds like kind of like a 15 year old, like Marilyn Manson thing at this point, but uh, you know, I, <laughs> I feel like um, just anyone it, looking back on their own work, you, you end up not liking bits and pieces of it as you've had more time to analyze it. But reading it through on a first read, um, it does seem like it's uh, someone dealing with all these situations and possibly some things that came through for your own emotions and a way of analyzing them and going through all the feelings as well. At least that's what I got when I was reading it. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Um and yeah, I did read a lot of black magic books. I just, uh, the, a lot of the stuff that that seems like it would be real or, uh, I don't know, it's very comp complicated, like from the sort of like medieval uh, translations and so forth. And I was not going to spend like a week taking off work and doing all these bizarre rituals to like figure out. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of it, I just kind of um, made my character like myself. who was just kind of, uh, it's, I feel like the book is about like a lack of understanding and in, in a lot of aspects of life. So like exploring things without ever sort of grasping them fully. It's sort of like uh, the character sort of accepts Christianity as it is presented to them, as well as how black magic is presented. And then sort of like a divide in which one will potentially save me or so I'm told it will save me. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I was getting out of it as well. Um, I really liked uh, one of one of the things I liked is the there's a festering wound that represents a uh, I guess a possession on your character's part. I don't know. Yeah. I just I just enjoyed I enjoyed it like thematically how it like smells of sulfur and it just never goes away and I don't think I've ever seen a possession uh, depicted that way before at all in a story in these stories that I've read anyway. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, well, thank as you well. very much. Yeah, I'm glad uh, you like it. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, but another thing is, um, there's a couple demons that are mentioned in it, like Elam and whatnot. Were those the ones you made up, or did you find those names? No, I found them, though I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to tell you where at this point. There, I kind of uh, go through manuscripts and make notes in a little notepad I have, but I often throw it aside once I've kind of put it into the work. And so I don't have a, a very um, sophisticated way of going back to, I guess, my research. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I, I mean, I wasn't exactly expecting that. But I was just curious. So so these are real things, though, that were present in like Christian theology and whatnot, which I find very interesting uh, to pull yeah. from factual sources. That's pretty cool. Um. But uh, did you grow up in a religious household? Yeah, my parents divorced when I was very young. And my mother, um, well, I guess she became a Christian prior to having me or shortly thereafter I was born. Um, yeah, I would say she's kind of the, I mean, she considers herself a fundamentalist. But I, I think there's quite a difference from like, her her community of of Christians versus I think what is maybe portrayed as like a middle America style of fundamentalism. I mean, I think her beliefs ultimately are probably the same, though I find it um, at this point in my life just kind of, I don't know, it's fine. It's like, it's just, it's her sort of social community and it gives grounds her and gives her a belief system and so forth. And I think I surely rebelled against that quite a bit uh, as a youth and thought it was hypocritical and blah 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 and, and maybe it is um uh, or maybe you just uh, listen to too much black metal or maybe i just <laughs> listen to too much black metal yeah <laughs> that, yeah. that line just came into my head right now as i was talk, talking listening yeah. to you it i mean at like some that. at some level we all sort of had that rebellion against our parents but i think i can uh, associate with it too because I grew up in a mostly Catholic household and I went to like a Catholic private school and came out the other end and was just I didn't want to have anything to do with it when I left and so knowing all about those topics and then reading through the book and seeing the videos and things like that like the music videos um, there are some religious and biblical references in there too were those purely intentional or were they just kind of things that you'd come across and you felt they'd be interesting for the story Oh no! I mean, it's it's a part of my life. I was this it uh, informed my well. I don't know if it formed my belief system. I think I I I actively rebelled against Christianity oh, once gotcha. I was probably twelve. <laughs> um, so anything <laughs> prior to that, uh, I mean, I guess at some point I probably considered myself uh, a Christian. I don't really. I don't have a, a firm memory of that, but it was around me. It was in my life. And right. Um, so certainly when writing a, this story and kind of, uh, there is a lot of this like relationship to my mother and her husband and so forth, who, who still really hold that belief system. And, um, you know, I'm still intrigued by these things and in a way like wish I could believe in it. Um, and I don't know. And in, in, in my head, I often th think of myself as like getting older and, and getting into God or something. I think uh, at this would 
at this point in the world, I feel like it's somewhat radical as all of my peers have become sort of like these festering leftist buffoons who <laughs> worship Bernie Sanders or something. And um, I feel like millennials, because they have a lack of faith, have like put this in politics or something. And so like believing in God is like, um, at least in Los Angeles, seems kind of uh, absurd. And I like that in a way. I agree with that. Finding God, or like trying to grasp onto religion in Los Angeles is just like, I mean, there's so many moving parts in Los Angeles. It's like the last thing on people's minds, unless you're from, you know, East LA and you're living with like a bunch of abuelitas, you know? Oh, right. I mean, there's certain <laughs> cultures that I just don't have access to. That right. I, I, Obviously, there are many churches in LA, but like yeah. as a middle class like, 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 white kid, yeah. You know, I feel like there are a lot of people who grew up like me rejected it and now have this certain opinion that, I don't know, it just seems very standard uh, in, in L.A., right? Yeah, yeah I would it, say it so. It makes sense. <laughs> Especially for the yeah, age group that you're referring to. Yeah, it's definitely like just being like of faith in anything is kind of like kind of like looked down upon a little bit. I would say, I mean, I've seen it for myself. I've seen it from other people that I know, you know, and gradually, like, as you get over, you, as you get older, you stop giving a shit really about as long as like the person is treating you all right or not bothering you, it's you kind of move on from it. But now there's like a I, ideal way to be. And that's, that's kind of like a, what we're seeing in California or in LA anyway, at this point. Right. Well, you start seeing people who are feeling conflicted about whether or not they should be a part of a religion or not, because it does bring a sense of community to a lot of people. And it makes sense that it's it's beneficial in that way where people feel like they have someone to go to, someone to talk to about things, whereas anyone who's rejecting it kind of feels like they're on their own and kind of getting pushed out of whatever community they're in. So people feel conflicted at a time when there's crisis. And so something that's going on now, people are starting to figure out whether or not they want to be part of a religion or if they want to have their own spiritual beliefs. Yeah. Do you witness that among your peers? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things with a lot of younger people, how they are kind of similar to yours where they're, they grow up in a household or they, they were forced to go to church when they were a kid. That's but it, now yeah. we're seeing more of the kind of, uh, alternative ways of spirituality you got a lot of people you know messing with tarot a lot of people <laughs> dwelling into wiccan beliefs as well as black art or black magic slightly but only because it's kind of trendy like it's kind of a thing yeah, that, that, that's that true. a lot of people are, are getting into i mean I, it, nowadays when i meet people uh they'll ask me what my astrological sign is for like the third <laughs> or fourth question you know <laughs> i mean yes uh, i, I witnessed this as well <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. I see astrology. Stuff. Are you a, a, astrologers? Is that a word? I mean, a, a, astrologers. I mean, I think it's more. I mean, as as, as OKCupid okay would put it, it's fun to think about. But I don't know if I like fully like believe in all of it and everything. But it's it's weird when you're just kind of like basing everyone's personality off of a single sign or something along those lines. It's fun to think about, but I don't put a lot of investment in it. Yeah, and the thing is, like, with uh, nowadays, I mean, I know a person who, before they do anything, like, the first thing they do is read tarot cards. And, like, for me, I feel like that's kind of, like, kind of annoying. It can be annoying, <laughs> but kind of weird because, like, the thing is your whole 
day is upon you looking upon these three cards. So you're like, oh, I'm expecting a call from somebody today, I guess. Okay, something bad is going to happen. I, gee, I wonder what's going to go uh, down. So you sort of fulfill Where, it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Kind of just like kind of second guessing yourself or like thinking like, oh, this person's a Leo. So I know that they're going to try to be in charge. Like, I think it, it takes away the randomness of the universe uh, out of the equation because you're expecting and you're thinking about stuff consciously w without things just happening naturally. Okay. Um, with that being said, though, what is your sign? <laughs> <laughs> that was a great transition. So, from what I understand, that I am a, a so I'm a Libra, but I I believe I'm on the cusp of Scorpio. My birthday is October twenty first. Okay. Sweet, sweet. Uh, we hey, Mitch is a Libra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like yeah, Mitch is Libra, and then both Mer and I. I are could do I could like do the whole freaking. <laughs> the whole sun and everything right now, but I, I will spare you all. <laughs> Good. Wow. So, uh, well, I'm I'm impressed. I don't know. Uh, you're you're impressed. I'm impressed <laughs> that you could do the whole sun. I don't know. I I feel like this is um, meaning you you could read our charts. Is that what you're saying? Not, I mean, I mean, I know not all of yours, but I could do like my own. Like I know I can, my own little star chart. I, I can read. Uh, like, but it's just it's it. Yeah. It's like a, a thing. I think people think about it as like the basis of like a single sign dip dip like depends or uh, creates what your entire personality will be when it's more so like a combination of multiple aspects. And so uh, it, it, it but I think that it is silly, though, because we have this whole thing where people are like, oh, I'm such a Capricorn, therefore I'm a bitch or something like that, you know, <laughs> that's going on, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever. And I think we get a lot of that. And then instead of people who've like sat down and like read about it, because I know people who have sat down and like read all of this stuff and whatnot, and they do some pretty weird things in public. Like they'll meet someone they've never met and they just like guess aspects of their chart oh, like yeah. right off the bat. And like we like weird stuff without ever meeting this person. But at the same time, it's like uh, you probably could have looked it up online ahead of time if you're crazy. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So for a lot of younger people or like, you know, maybe even people your age, I mean, just like people are looking more to the stars and more to like old, old ways of just doing like magic and ritual. But it's it like tarot. Wasn't that invented last century by like, uh, the Crowley people. It, it, I mean, they're fairly new. I mean, they're, they're like, you're not wrong. I mean, they're like probably within the last hundred, 200 years, I think. Right. I read in a book, and this may be uh, inaccurate, but um, it was someone was it was like a, a book of essays about this writer who was very into tarot, and he basically described that this this didn't exist before like the 1920s. Oh, geez. So when people yeah. tell me about like this is this old stuff, I think it was. I think it's based on teaching people about older traditions but i'm pretty sure that like uh either aliester crowley or one of his disciples so to speak invented this as i a think kind it was of... uh rider weight okay yeah because that's the original deck that everyone refers to so it's fairly new then huh that's my understanding but i would not quote me on that 
Well, guys, you're here for the 100-year anniversary <laughs> of the tarot deck. Uh... Oh, there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> to my understanding, the tarot cards, the, the, the card decks themselves and the images that appeared on them were pretty old. Um, they weren't used for the purposes that they're used today until, like, the late uh, 18th century. And then, like, like uh, Chris was describing, they became popular because of certain occultists that kind of put certain images onto it and then put other meanings attached to it. So it became what we know of it now just like less than 100 200 years ago interesting yeah i know next to nothing about tarot <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean except i've i've flipped over the cards before because my girlfriend wanted me to right. or another friend of mine wanted me to uh, and then i know it was fun who is very superstitious and they won't touch the cards they're like nope i don't want anything to do with it don't bring it near me <laughs> and he just doesn't want to deal with that I feel that. I understand. I'm superstitious. Uh, so I, I can get that feeling. Chris, I was wondering, um, you know, doing a little bit of research for your book and things around it. Um, did you do any research on Aleister Crowley? I mean, I read some of, sort of. I just find uh, all of that stuff uh, interesting in theory. And then when I get down into it, I, I don't really enjoy the writing do you know what i mean yeah so, you so. <laughs> like you'll hear these concepts of like these great uh like these great endeavors like you know the guy going to like the great pyramids of giza to awaken the horror of babylon but the way he writes it is just so trash just like yeah he was not a good writer <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i've even got a, a book of his with a there was like a collection of a ton of his books and I got halfway through one and I just said like, you know, like reading for me is a very personal thing and it's what I do for fun. And I set aside about an hour every morning. I get up very early to do it. And uh, I just feel like if I get too far into a book and it's just boring to me, I can't keep up with it. And, and um, with a, when writing my own novels and so forth, uh, you know, I'll only go, I'll only research things so far as they add something to the book. And I feel like getting into the minutia of things like that, when ultimately this is a work of fiction, if I can grasp uh, a theme at least, and that that's fine, because then I can kind of twist it any way I want. And ultimately, I don't really care, to be quite honest, if I'm being faithful to any occult tradition. Um, I'm probably not. And... And I think even within the structure of the book, by the end of it, uh, you can kind of grasp my point of view. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it became something yeah, like on its own because of the elements that you were pulling from real things and creating your own universe that these characters existed in. So it ended up being something that was unique in yours. And it, it worked really well, I think. Uh, I thank you. I appreciate that. But I mean... I'm glad this works, but it's probably just a result of me being very self-involved. But you know, <laughs> how, how do you mean? Do you feel like you were uh, focusing a lot on yourself and just expressing certain emotions, or you were only focusing on one thing? No, I just mean in insofar as like uh, I'm having this sort of crisis with my <laughs> my literature so far. Oh, okay, I've okay. written three books essentially that 
are either strict memoir or feature me as a, a main character. And I, at this point, I find it quite embarrassing and I need to move on to something else. But, you know, I spent so many years on this book, I had to come out. And I think some, you know, hopefully some people enjoy it or whatever. But um, it's just very much about, I mean, it's just about my own shit. I don't know. They're just processing walls yeah. that end up as books, you know. Well, you got it down and you ended up making the book itself. So that's more than some people have done with their yeah. emotions and their creative works and things like that. So you made four books. That's that's an accomplishment, honestly. Yeah, true. Wow. It... I could have been playing some more Doom. It might have been <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> Yeah, if only if you hadn't written those books yeah. or did any of that work, you could have just been playing Doom. Uh, yeah, because like, how many do you got? How many books do you guys read in a year? Do you think? Uh, this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. This one. Uh, I uh, would way, guess, wait, uh, like. You know, you know what was cool about? Oh, yeah, like, excuse uh, me. Let him. Let. James oh no, say you're fine. Something. I was thinking about oh, it. I was like, how many books? Yeah. Are there? I'd say like I mean, maybe twenty, twenty-five. Oh, that's yeah. actually pretty good for for it's, these yeah. days. But that's specifically because yep. because I want to do screenwriting. So I I ah. really pay attention to dialogue and I watch a ton of films. Like media, I take in. There's a whole lot of stuff. I have like every streaming service. I watch almost every genre. So it's like reading is really important because you get to see different styles and you're not just in your own little bubble about how your own style kind of evolves. I absolutely agree. Um, though. Well, I find this, see, with with reading and writing and all, I find it uh, essential to my own life because I don't I don't know what else to do in a way. But, you know, there's also this this thing among writers as <laughs> as it puts this importance on the act or whatever. But I think in a cultural way, it's not that um, important at all these days, right? To some degree. I mean, the amount of people who will read this book for example is probably under a thousand people i almost guarantee you <laughs> i wouldn't I say mean, it's because the, of the quality of the book i would say it's because people just aren't reading as much anymore. well that's, yeah yeah but that's what i mean <laughs> yeah definitely i mean i read about two to three books a year and that's very rare <laughs> and like i i mean are you the thing is the human person nowadays reads a book but not in terms of a reading a story they just read text messages you know so it's like they're getting their word count but not in literature yeah so what is the value of literature at, at this point in 2020 i mean it's only valuable in so far as like a very small percentage of people find this interesting i guess people like myself and uh you sir i'm sorry I've, i'm having trouble differentiating everyone besides mitch because he's yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> no that's so fine who is the one reading a bunch of books that's me that's jonathan jonathan well good for you <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There, there needs to be some of us left in the world because people keep writing books but i think people keep writing them without an audience more and more yeah i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's true. Uh, that's an interesting way of looking of looking at it is that 
I mean, it is it is true that reading is definitely kind of a thing that's going out like reading lit for the sake of reading for the sake of just reading is kind of going out. People usually read because it gives them information or something or right. something along those lines. I mean, I was reading like I mean, but before I started reading this one, I was reading like a Conan the Barbarian compilation from like the <laughs> 30s, which is super fun. It's great. Um, yeah. but, uh, but I remember like I was sitting down there and I, w- I read probably like 10, 15 pages on one of my breaks. And then this like coworker of mine comes in and she's just like, look, what are you reading? And I was just like, I just went through like 15 pages and she like had seen beforehand otherwise. And I explained to her everything that went on and a lot went on in 15 pages. And she was very, very surprised. She was like, you got all of that out of 15 pages. I was like, yeah, his books are cool. And. I don't know. I don't know. It just, it just felt like she didn't like comprehend that so much could be con, con, like so much could be explained in 15 pages or five or whatever it was the number. Yeah, I'm hallucinating while I'm reading pieces of wood. What about it? Yeah, a whole movie's going on in my head, and you're over there. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> whatever. You want. Uh, I was curious though. You mentioned you have your other books. What are those other books about? Uh, the most recent one before the magician, it's called body to job. And, uh, it is, it's sort of a collection of stories, but it's structured in such a way that it's, uh, it's my memoirs of working in the adult industry. Uh, and I guess the year or two after I quit, um, and that was, through it my last publisher they're called rare bird but they they kind of have this subdivision of their press that puts out um books by sex workers uh and i don't know i think i'm actually very proud of it i think it's it's another book that i wrote over the course of many years and kind of um came back to and restructured later and added some new material uh and the one before that is called the wolves that live in skin and space and it's um I, again a piece of auto fiction it has a lot to do with some aspects of the adult industry and kind of like bisexuality and it's also a kind of uh, existential horror novel as well um and then the book before that i just don't recommend you read so i'm not going to tell you <laughs> what's about i think it's pretty bad i wrote it when i was very young and um i i suppose i could look into getting it taken off the market <laughs> oh it's that extreme where you're like i don't want it on the market anymore well i don't know i mean i it represents a period of time in my life when i was young and not very good at writing but oh, um, gotcha. i yeah i just I don't know who's there was some famous author whose interview I read recently who said that you shouldn't publish anything before you're 30. And oh, dang. I kind of agree with that now. Um, I think that's true for most people. It, uh, cause that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, Chris, who, uh, what, uh, what authors uh, inspired you in your writing and whatnot, things like that? Well, when I was in, in high school and first probably getting into thinking that like books could be cool or whatever. I think, um, probably my most obvious influence is like Brett Easton Ellis. Um, but then I think he's like a gateway drug really, because I think he's probably at that time he was maybe the, uh, the most successful, um, quote unquote transgressive fiction 
author, though I, I don't know that anyone can write transgressive fiction at this point. Um, and then I found, <laughs> I found out in my early 20s about Dennis Cooper. I don't know if you've heard of him, but... Um, yeah, I actually, uh, what was it? I think I was in a, a thread of yours at some point, like some years back. And I think I read The Sluts from Dennis Cooper. I also read God Jr. from him. Oh, wow. So at one point, yeah, no, because he was, I, I was, I was just, I needed a new author to read. And so I think that was one of your suggestions. And I was like, sweet, I'll just fucking pick this up. Why not? The Sluts is amazing, right? Oh, The Sluts was really good. No, I really liked that book. I, I still tell people like today, I think like you should check that book out. It's, it was wild. I, I really liked the, uh, how it was all set up in, um, what do you call it? Like online forums, like intentional typos and things like that. And, it's right. got like that whole evolving storyline and you can like, it causes so much vision from just reading what are essentially like forums and uh, a lot of stuff. And then there's that whole, like the whole castration scene and whatnot, like fucked with me like too hard. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I have to say the first time I read that, uh, yeah, I was that past that whole chapter or I don't know if it's really a chapter or not, but I was at, I think a Korean restaurant. I lived in K town at the time and I was like, eating some kind of uh like uh, i don't know maybe an egg roll or something it just yeah. i think i almost threw up it was just that <laughs> visceral oh, yeah it, it really it really stuck with you it really stuck with me too i think i even threw it to my dad once i was like dad you should give this book a read and, ah! uh, he, he enjoyed it he enjoyed it yeah you have a different yeah. relationship to your father so. yeah I, I i definitely do my dad's he's a he's a character <laughs> Yeah, well, I think um, Dennis Cooper is still probably one of one of, if not my favorite contemporary author. Maybe the only person who might compete is uh, the French author Michel Houellebecq. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, uh, he puts out yeah, I don't know. His books are amazing. He had a he had a book come out the end of last year in the u.s called serotonin which i thought was fantastic very cool i uh i was gonna say that i think that um now that you said because when i was reading it i was like this this reads like this is like like bren easton ellis or like or like it has it has like that that prose feeling of those two authors of uh of cooper of cooper and ellis Anyway, so I thought that was it was pretty interesting. It has that kind of like that punchy to, uh, punchiness to it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I've developed a kind of um, minimalist style. And I think if you go back, you know, like Ellis was uh, informed by like Joan Didion and Coop, probably Dennis Cooper, too, though. I don't know. He, he has a lot of other influences that I'm not as versed in. Um but those books, just when I was a younger person, were just very influential, and not just because of the subject matter, though I think that's what struck me first, because they're obviously dealing with explicit violence and sexuality in in a kind of fun way. And then, the, but there's a style about it, like um, that you know, you don't find in like a Stephen King book, for example. Yeah. Like in a Stephen King book, it doesn't feel like there's any any sense of style that you're reading you're just kind of like in it for the story or what whatnot I'm, i mean when it comes to stephen king i've always felt stephen king was very much a like he was like a teen horror fiction writer for adults 
yeah. <laughs> kind of thing is well, how, yeah, that's how I've yeah. always felt about him anyway. He has a formula he uses for all of his writing, yeah. and he inserts things as he needs them into the story, so it's easy to read. Um, and it's not, it, it does give you the impression that someone is sitting and telling you a ghost story as opposed to someone telling you the story themselves and expressing more of the emotion that was going on. Um, yeah. I felt like when I was reading your book in particular, it was very close to um, screenwriting, to a script where you'd see a lot of dialogue that would happen. And to me, it felt natural because I'm used to reading scripts. But I wonder if anyone else would find that they were missing something possibly because of the transitions between the scenes. And it also seemed to be that it was back to back. But it was interesting and I liked the style. And it even, like you said, it was your own style that you were creating in it. And I think it works well for the content that you were having in it. Thank you very much. Um, and yeah, to your point, I mean, um, I went to film school and at one point really wanted to write screenplays and maybe that's still in my future though. <laughs> I, I just found the industry very inaccessible at this at the stage that I wanted to get in. And at some point after writing enough screenplays, I felt like, well, you know, I can keep coming up with these stories and submitting them to like a festival so that a panel of 10 people will read them. Or I could, you know, invest the same energy in books and maybe it still won't have a huge audience, but there will be, you know, at least several hundred people who will read this. And uh, I think it's just a, uh, a more fulfilling feedback loop at this point for me, uh, novels, because I yeah. thank God found a, a small cult audience. And, um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm very grateful for that, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I often visualize the, the environment, uh, prior to writing any prose, like it's more of like a visual interpretation first i guess right. in the process you know what i mean i was curious about that whenever you're writing it um do you write something first and then go back and edit it or do you usually just write and and leave it as it is oh there's a lot of editing yeah. especially like towards the end these days i'm trying to be a little bit quicker uh, on just getting stuff down without right. rewriting it constantly but certainly uh it, it, when I was first writing The Magician and with all my other books, I'm very slow and I tend to write a sentence and rearrange it quite a few times. And a lot of a lot of times it ends up at the end actually being not necessarily like a beautiful sentence, but it, I think it's very utilitarian. I find that if I can't come up with like a, a kind of beautiful way to say something, it, it's at least very direct um so i always aim for the for the something that's nicer but oftentimes i think you'll i'll come up with some, like a sentence and um at at the time i wrote it i probably thought that sounded very nice and it's it's in retrospect it's kind of embarrassing or too flowery or something right. like that you know i, I mean? get that feeling so much i i feel like anything that i write is predictable and that it's something that sounds cheesy and then I'll show it to someone else and they're like, no, this is good. And I think it's just my own inner voice being like, nope, you've seen this before. This has been used a ah. lot. <laughs> that kind of feeling. I mean, 
I mean, some of the best writing that we do comes from what we understand. Yeah, totally. And what we already. So that makes a lot of sense why you'd be like, I can already predict my own story. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And that also, I feel like, is just a, a plague that comes with being a writer. We're like, everything I doing is awful i don't want to share this with anybody but can you read it and so you yeah. just end up feeling weird about it <laughs> oh man uh, yeah. um so you and so chris you you put a a there's a short film that accompanies this book also like a what do you call it a um like a image book or picture picture book yeah i guess we call it an art book <laughs> art yeah. book there we go yeah art book there we go um yeah so the film actually isn't out. It was supposed to premiere this coming weekend uh, at the uh, oh, American gotcha. Documentary Film Festival. But as uh, COVID-19 has swept the world, yeah. uh, we're not allowed to congregate for film festivals. So it's been pushed back to September, though I may um, work with my publisher to do some kind of like online release because it's not a very long film it's like 10 minutes yeah. and or eight minutes even um but the, initially i had this very uh grand vision for this project and one of my really close friends uh her name is luca fisher she suggested at the beginning of this that we kind of do this multimedia project or maybe I came up with that idea. I don't, I don't quite remember, but she's certainly championed it. And um, it was exciting for me at the time because, you know, without having done any of the work yet, it was like, we're going to have this film, we're going to take photographs and <laughs> we have this big art show. And then I think, uh, you know, and I was kind of funding it by doing sex work and, and then a lot of, it was right after I got out of porn. So I was doing a lot of kind of dangerous things. And I probably was in a state of like manic depression also. So I was willing to like put myself at risk quite a bit. Um, though about two years into the project, I no longer felt such uh, disregard for my life. And so, you know, I entered like a, a better relationship, which has uh, grown and flourished. And I don't know, just my life changed in a lot of ways. And I had involved all these people. And basically, I couldn't keep paying for this uh, <laughs> to, to make like a movie at the level that we were trying to make it. So what we ended up doing with the footage is taking these kind of uh, visual tableaus that we created and, and I wrote um, an essay for this book, and then I even chopped that down further to this narrative that's a voiceover in the short film that's basically describing, like, why we made this or why I made this and then why it just kind of didn't work the way we wanted. So that's like essentially why it's become a documentary rather than um, kind of a one-to-one -one ratio to the book. Mm. Okay. I'm really glad that you mentioned that you condensed it down into like a tableau because that's what I felt like it was when I was watching it. And it was very specific images that would evoke the most uh, emotion and understanding of what was happening on screen. And so watching it, I felt like I was able to get 
certain pieces of the story that were important. And to me, it seems like something that you had mentioned was something that was larger and that you needed to condense into something that was smaller now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was not envisioned as it is, as it currently stands at the beginning. Um, and I think, well, I don't know. I mean, the photographer Gina Canavan and, and the film director Matthew Condart um, were very gracious with their time. And I feel kind of bad in a way that I think they felt as if I may have strung them along because I came to them with all this excitement in the beginning. And as I've told you, this took me five years essentially to write. And um, I think a lot of that steam kind of fell away and then the the financing and so forth. So by the, by the end of it, I'm not sure that they really understood what they were on board with. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I hope that they're happy with it. Um, I think our relationships have changed and everything. They've just, it's just everyone has kind of moved on with their lives. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of, the vibe of that movie is uh, very specific. And I don't know that everyone still, still uh, enjoys that, if that makes sense. The uh, people involved with it. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Wait, so wait, so what's the name of this band you were in? children i think yeah i was in a band called children i mean it it has the possibility of continuing in some way it's not it's not like either it's a two-person band it's industrial metal i think is the easiest way to describe it okay <laughs> yeah this this really interested me when uh mitch was telling us about you know you as a person i i think the style of music that you guys play is like it's really good I, I think you guys I think you guys pull it off really well. Well, I appreciate that. Um, Industrial is like one of those things that like uh, has always just been one of those genres that I respect. And personally, I wanted to ask you what were like some of your influences when making this kind of music. <laughs> you know, at the beginning, I was. I didn't I didn't know that much about industrial. I didn't grow up with industrial music other than like the the most obvious like bands, I guess. So I was aware of well, I you know, I don't know if you could say Nine Inch Nails is an industrial band, but I knew about like KMFDM stuff like that. Um but I grew up into like underground metal. So okay. I moved to Los Angeles in my early 20s uh to go to school and do porn and then I met this guy Chad uh Chad Fierstead who I think is still performing in the adult industry under the name Chad Alva and he was the first guy I'd met uh in the porn industry who essentially had the same a similar music background to me and he had been in a lot of like underground metal bands and actually had toured uh with some mid-range like metalcore bands in the early 2000s like he was in dead to fall and um bands like that so Sweet. you know you know we both really loved like converge and isis and like oh yeah bands like, like that 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 early 2000s metalcore make you <laughs> fucking like you got your keychains fucking dangling from your jeans while you're throwing down hands <laughs> yeah i mean that was like my my whole high school like, like yeah. so i 
I was getting more into like American black metal, I guess, uh, in my early twenties, like wolves in the throne room, um, stuff like that. And I wanted to start a band with Chad and I played guitar. He played bass. We didn't know that very many people in Los Angeles. And we certainly didn't know anyone who could drum and who could do that, like blast beat style of, of <laughs> drumming that we needed, except for, some people we vaguely knew who were kind of like studio musicians or who would tour with bigger bands and just didn't have time for us. So it can't, the, the, the reason we started experimenting with like the industrial side of things was out of necessity. It's just, I needed to have some sort of backdrop to what we were doing. So I started programming the drums with reason. And then we started adding other elements and eventually I kind of liked that and uh it became i think the bigger part of our music whereas i think the guitar and everything certainly by the very end of our band was almost uh was i mean it was there but it wasn't the main focus yeah yeah, yeah. Went more electric rather than like guitar and drum bass which has of course but yeah went more like the electric route the riffs went hard. I'll give you yeah. that. <laughs> they definitely yeah, do go there. hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it was a cool, I don't know. I'm, I'm really proud of the project. I think it just was a matter of, um, why did it fall apart? Really? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it ever really got traction and maybe that has to do a lot with my lack of uh, ability to promote it in such a way. I, I don't really like going out that much. And I think the last tour we went on really solidified this for me. We went up the West Coast, and I just remember sitting at this bar in Seattle. And, you know, it was not a packed show because we weren't really that popular. And I just, I don't know that I want to, like, just continue dumping money into like hanging out at 2 a.m. and like a shit dive bar with like 15 fucking like methed out black metal guys. So, like, yeah. one, one dude is just like, yeah, this is fucking great. But that, like, I don't know. I don't know what the point of that is after a while. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, I, I feel it. Well, the, the thing is, like, when you're a a touring musician or like someone that's like trying to get traction and doing your thing you know you tend to try to get a snowball going but it, there's always those like there's shows i know i have a lot of friends who play uh j just regular old hardcore they're like oh yeah so our van broke down but we're still gonna make it to our kansas show who the fuck's coming out and that room is filled with like 14 people but right. they're like hell yeah i'm fucking stoked like you know like you take what you can for sure but i know it's a very uphill battle especially when you're starting out um but that being said i wanted to ask you what was your favorite show that you played you know a good show that you had that you were just like wow that was actually really fucking good that was a lot of fun like that was a good time uh fuck what was this there was a band we played with in glendale that's like what the fuck is this it's like so 
is it killed by robots? Do you understand? Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a guy who does like a grind band, and it's just him, and he builds all these robots to um, oh, play the yes. music. Just destroyed by robots. I, know I can't who even it is. remember the name. It's fucking amazing, and that show is like packed, and that was one of like the funnest things I've seen. We also got to play with like quite a few cool acts uh we opened for author and punisher before he became Dude, massive that's rad yeah that's that's what i was thinking like that's that author and punisher kind of style you know like just the guy that makes his own industrial instruments but like that was so you guys played with that dude before he like blew the fuck up and got on a label huh oh yeah we played with him at like a piece of shit bar like <laughs> there no one was there and <laughs> i mean <laughs> He, he had kind of a following <laughs> at that point, but like, it wasn't like he was How it is from San Diego, right? So if he played LA, it was kind of like a toss up. If he did it on a weeknight, like 10 years ago, it might be like 30 people would be there or less. And it was that kind of situation. I mean, we were thrilled. It was a, cause I think when we first started, like I was still in that mentality and I think you have to be to, to play that kind of music and, to be into going to shows that there's it's not like about how many people show up it's there's something you know you're getting to play this shit but you know i'm getting to be an old man like <laughs> i just don't Chris care to stay indoors yeah i just don't care anymore and also chad my bandmate um you know i think was kind of moving towards projects where they were giving him more traction and he started think like five other bands and he was on tour with uh the primals which is i've heard of that band yeah they're like a rock band with uh started by the vocalist of uh darkest hour yeah oh what that's super cool yeah it's awesome so it's not like it's not metal at all but you know, I think it, it's more accessible probably. And I don't know. So he was just doing a lot of different things and I think wasn't as focused on children. And then I got like a normal job and I just felt like the only thing I was doing outside of my day job that people gave a shit about was the books. And, you know, I only had so much time. So I, that's basically my thing now. Then the music, I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully some time in my life I can get back to it, but yeah yeah that's that's cool i mean you guys have a good amount of music would you say online still uh we put out two eps that both of them are on spotify and probably other places you can download they're on Bandcamp, spotify i don't even know if itunes is still around but it used to be on itunes (laughs) Um, yeah the last song we did i don't think you can find on any of those platforms because it was uh a rihanna cover and uh, <laughs> we did not ask permission so we can't really put it on platforms so we'll give you money Makes um sense. i think the last the last time i i did stuff well i mean i did stuff for i did one review when i worked for coma music magazine i did a review for the first ep which i thought was super really cool sounding it was very different from other stuff i heard it was a good mesh of like your like black metal industrial sound you were I was the like, one that did that, huh? Yeah, I, I was the one. Connection. Yeah, I okay, did. Yeah, well. yeah, I did the. Yeah, I did the review for that. 
<laughs> well, I, well, that's super cool that you remember now. <laughs> yeah, I, I must. I'm sorry, I forgot. But um, oh, don't worry about it. It's not, like dude, I said, it I'm like, old. Yeah, no, no joke. It was like eight years ago, almost. Like it's right. crazy to think about that, but it was like eight years ago. But that's how I like ran into into you at the time. And it was just like it was the most hilarious like like friend request ever because I was just like, why am I getting? Who is this random guy like fucking uh. trying to add me? I'm like, who is this? Oh, he's in that band I just reviewed. Oh, that's sick. All right, yeah, sure. Bring him in here. It's fine. And then it's like, then then you like scroll through your wall, and then really interesting posts start coming through your wall during like you know 2012, and you're like, what the fuck? And then, <laughs> <there> you <go. laughs> um, but uh, no, and then I think I went to go see a show in. I was at Santa Ana, LA. I think it was like downtown LA. I think I went to go see children down there like the one time. It was like yeah, I sash. Remember- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was like Sash Claws and Axes. I think was the other band that was playing there. And then there was that one like two person bit with like the guitar with just the mod and then the vocals. And he was like running around rubbing on people and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Fuck, yeah. I can't. Have fun. <laughs> I yeah. forget. Remember, uh, I forget the name of the. No. Yeah, what were they called? I like those guys too. Yeah, they were awesome. They were super rad. I know Jesse probably remembers my buddy that was with me. He probably remembers. I'll 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 talk to him later. Get back to you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> last question that I have uh, for music though, because I mean, I just fucking love music, man, and I, I dig yours. So uh, I was just wondering, uh, the the vocals. I mean, how did you get your start with doing vocals like that? I mean, they're super brutal they're they're very they're very intense i mean how i mean you know you going from uh you being in the adult film industry into a band like that i mean like was there anything that you i mean i don't know did anything put two and two together i don't know i was just really wondering about that (laughs) i didn't see a vocalist out of that (laughs) (laughs) um well i've i played in like bands you probably never fucking heard of when i was in high school and we were all it was all like that early 2000s metalcore era stuff i was not a vocalist back then i but you know i i think that's just the dumbest way to say it it's probably that like once i started writing songs where i thought that i might be able to do the vocals i would take little demos and and put them in my car and when i'm on the freeway i just try out screaming because it was the only place i knew that um it wouldn't bother anyone <laughs> so uh, yeah. i i kind of just developed my ability to do that probably driving to work i think <laughs> there's so many good <laughs> ideas that happen in your car on your way to work i get so yeah. many good story ideas while i'm driving well i think it's a time where we're not we're not on our fucking phones. Yep. We're not like there's no stimulus <laughs> really other than you got to just get to where you're going. So, yeah, I think I think we need those times to just think. Um, uh, oh, yeah. I feel like I would definitely have someone just drive me around at some point if I could. So I could just get into that zone and figure out what I wanted to <laughs> how I wanted to progress the story. And it would work out really well. The meditation taxi. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> just like personal kind of thing. It's kind of obscene things I would spend money on. Oh man, I I will say I'm in that same boat though uh, that you were describing though, like where you're just listening to your own demos and just 
trying to stream because it's like you maybe you're embarrassed maybe you don't want to fucking bother people around you maybe you live at a fucking home with you know family but like the car is always the best place for sure the so car that's is pretty, the best place yeah i agree that's pretty dope man I, I, that's kind of like where I'm doing all my vocal stuff from too. That's when I started like getting into doing it for, uh, for the band that I'm in now. Cause I was never saw myself as a vocalist in the first place. I was like, no, nah, I don't do that. I'm not even not worth my salt at that at all. And then like one day I just like, I was drunk at karaoke one night and then <laughs> someone had a monomarth on there and I was just like, I'm going to do that. Let's just do that. And then I did it. And then, you know, but, but you're pretty good at that. You did it at Monomarth Karaoke? <laughs> yes, amazing. I did. Yeah, it was so good. It was so good. I've heard him do it, too. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. One of my buddies, like, uh, he runs karaoke nights, like, at multiple bars, and he has his own setup, and he's got, like, a Mastodon and a Monomarth track on there. And it's I, I, I was it was it was pretty rad. I was surprised that he had it on there, too. But hell, yeah. <laughs> Where do you where do you see your career going now? What are you going to focus on, like a project? Is it going to be writing another book? Or are you going to try to focus on some music, things like that? Well, I, I'm always writing another book. Um, so I'm currently working on that. Uh, I don't currently have plans to release any more music. I think there are inklings of doing more film work i mean my day job is i work in post-production so okay i'm a i'm a video editor and do motion graphics for a living and um you know i'd love to get a film off the ground uh i don't i don't know if i can say too much about like my plans to do that because i don't think they're uh concrete enough to be like this is coming sometime soon um oh gotcha, gotcha but certainly but certainly there are um balls rolling and if nothing else you'll probably just see another novel in like another two years or something like that but yeah Sweet. i i i write almost every day if i can and it's always it's at a slow pace but it's consistent so i feel like I'll probably crank out a book here and there for as long as I'm still interested. I don't know. It's true. You can write very well into your old age. So it's always a thing that you can do. And it's always good to work on things. Like you mentioned, you're writing consistently and that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just depends. I mean, if you, I don't write that much every day. I just get, I get up early and, it could be just like a paragraph even. Right. And that's, but it keeps you in, I think, um, engaged with what you're doing. I think if I let it go for too long and I don't, oh, you know, I, I just, just, I lose track of what I was thinking about at the, the story, the themes, the style. And then it just becomes like, what's, I, I don't know if you have the same experience, but if you like haven't written for a couple of weeks and you come back to it, it takes me probably a week to get back to something that I think is worth, <laughs> worth keeping. I don't know. Uh, I definitely had to figure out that if I am not in a good place to be writing, that I have to just step away from it for a second. And sometimes that involves me stepping away for a couple of days. And when I sure. come back, I usually have uh, much better thoughts on what's going on there. But I also pre-plan really heavily for a lot of things. So I have a lot of things laid out before I get to the actual writing. And then I usually would go with just 
uh, whatever comes into my mind for it. And then I'll go back and heavily edit things. And that usually works out much better than me worrying about what it'll be like the first time around, because that's sort of what gets a lot of people, even people who do other creative works like painting and whatnot. They don't want to put paint to canvas because they feel like it's not going to be very good, but just getting started is usually the hardest part about doing that. Yeah. Oh, and that sounds like a good process. I mean, I think for anyone, it's just, yeah. you have to pick a process that works. Oh, definitely. Because if you're not doing anything and just, then that doesn't work for you. Obviously, <laughs> Someone gives you advice and you, it's not something that like makes sense for your life. I don't know. It just doesn't. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> not at all. Uh, so we would we would definitely wanted to get to a section where, if you're comfortable, would you be comfortable talking to us about some of the porn industry? Yeah. So I, yes, I'll <laughs> just say the addendum. I don't know how um, accurate anything I say is in terms of how things are now. Right. But I but I have some idea. I have, a, I have like a, a few toes left in the industry. <laughs> I think Murr had the most questions, to be honest. Yeah, oh, sh- uh, yeah. Let me let me check. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Lift some pages. I think I've got something here. Uh, uh, just a real fun one, just for you. Um, so obviously you've been to adult conventions, right? Um, yeah. While you while you were in the business, I was wondering what's the weirdest fucking thing you've seen at an adult convention. At an adult convention? Yeah, just weirders out there. You're just like, okay, I've seen that today. I'll, all right. <laughs> you know, I'm probably gonna uh, let you down here. <laughs> my, my, I don't know that I have a really weird experience at an adult convention. My adult convention experiences have always been um, when I was in a relationship with a fellow performer, and I often, because I hate them, to be quite honest. It's like, yeah. uh, I don't want to really interact with people who masturbate to me. And uh, it, but it's because I predominantly worked in straight porn. Um, I also wasn't a focus of attention most of the time. So if I was dating a girl and she was, in the industry you know often she had to go sign for a company or something so i would go and kind of be her uh, i don't know what what you would call it but i would i would be there for emotional support and then she was always like this happened with there was three girls i accompanied to a board <laughs> events and they they're fucking cranky and by the end of it they they don't want to talk to anyone their voice is hoarse or the bad mood and so i just like getting them food and taking them back to the hotel room because they're just pissed off i did we didn't do anything that would be like crazy sure. or sexual i mean it was just like yeah no it's yeah, just like I've, I've heard some weird stories about adult conventions and like just like some weird shit that you may see or like oh i just witnessed that okay i did not expect to see that so i was i was just wondering and like adult conventions you know they're just there's just a bunch of weirdos, man. Like, <laughs> as far as much as I could say say that, it just it happens, you know. I mean, like you said, it's a room full of people that masturbate to you, so I can only imagine what what it's like to be there. Like, hey, <laughs> Danny, you know, we need you to be here for fucking eight hours, signing pictures and talking to people who fucking get wet over you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually ever sign stuff at like a booth. Um, 
so I don't know. And I have friends who are more into the parties and so forth. But to, to be quite honest, I never, I never enjoyed going to the to the parties. I'm as much as it's strange to say because I was like fucking for a living. I I kind of um, often found myself in like a monogamous relationship, meaning that like uh, I would date a fellow performer and that we were kind of. With each, we would go to work, obviously, and have sex with other people. But outside of that, you know, we were just trying to have live with some sense of normality. Um, right. Yeah. Um. So I was wondering, are how was how was filming for this medium? I mean, are you you're probably known as like, oh, my ex porn star friend, most likely, right? And author, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, the thing is, like I when I was just like doing the research for this like uh, yeah. little interview, I mean, it's just like oh, check out the ex adult industry like people who also make music and are artists and are like authors, right. and no, I was I just like oh, it's just, you know, it's like okay, I mean, like I get the I get the label, but like I just want to know how it was during your you know your twenties, like when you started and like by the end of it, wh- how you felt. I mean, in the beginning, you know, this was new. It was like, it was certainly a novelty. I didn't think that I was getting into a career. I was just, I think I did my first scene when I was 19, uh, almost 20 years old. And it was for like a BDSM company for kink.com. And... (sighs) To me at the time, it felt as if I was doing something kind of bad that would like be a, a story I could tell later, you know. Um, but the people I met on set were actually quite professional and they paid me more than anyone else had ever paid me to do anything in my life. And it, so it felt this like sense of, um, okay, I don't know, empowerment is the wrong word, but independence. Uh, something like it was just it felt nice to be honest to be like looked at in a sexual way because I think I was very shy in high school and to have it have people be so obvious about like we're paying you to have sex and this like this gaze directed at you um I don't know it gave me a lot of confidence that I don't think I had before and so I think at the beginning that was helpful both from like a self-esteem point of view and just finding my way in life because it, it gave me some financial opportunities to do things. I never made a ton of money, but I was trying to go to school. I was like trying to get through film school and it allowed me to do that. Um, I think midway through my career, once I got out of school and kept doing this, I, I think it dawned on me that like uh, this was not necessarily so fulfilling. And maybe I mean it wasn't bad. I have to say that like aside from the sort of medical reasons that um, I had to qu- I had to quit uh, it on a daily basis was not like a terrible job and in many often it was actually quite fun i mean there were bad days sure and some like weird shit that went down and exploitation blah 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 but um i didn't have a lot of like negative feelings towards the industry it was kind of in the at the very end i mean i'll just briefly say i i got 
I suppose, psychologically addicted to erectile dysfunction medication, which every guy in porn takes. Um, I don't care if they say they're not, they're lying, other than maybe like three guys. Um, And, and, you know, I, I was taking this from the age of like 20 to 28, I think. And, um, because I was taking it so often, I was getting to the point, I don't know if I was actually addicted to it, but I felt that I could not perform without taking the stuff. And I ended up in the hospital, um, for priapism when your erection won't subside and i don't know i've said this in many an interview it was terrible blah 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 they had to drain my penis with a giant needle um oh wow and i and i know i'm saying that with some like throwaway uh vibe right now but yeah it was horrific Uh, i don't recommend it to anyone and i quit the next day and um yeah the time that there's about two years thereafter where I didn't know what else to do. I didn't really have any skills, so to speak. So, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, like, how was, you know, finding work after leaving porn? Did you have like some issues with that? Just trying to find your way in the world for the next, you know, however long it was. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I had gone to film school, so, I had some basic knowledge of video editing and video film production, but, you know, instead of graduating and going to work as an intern somewhere, I kept fucking for a living because I could make more money. And I had sort of established this life. I had rent and so forth. I couldn't just go and like not make any money. You know, (laughs) you've all been to school, I I suppose. Um, When you get out, it's fucking scary. And like, it takes a minute to get on your feet. So I made, I don't know if it was a bad decision. It was, it seemed right at the time to like keep doing porn and then occasionally work on stuff. Like I did self-produce those music videos and so forth. But um, yeah, I ended up doing a lot of uh, like really low end jobs for porn production, like being a PA. Eventually I got to edit some stuff. Um, I, I landed a job working for James Dean actually for a few years, uh, doing a lot of his production and post-production, but I was Uh, also essentially a prostitute to kind of get enough money to subsidize my life. And I think that was kind of the, the worst part of all of my sex work experiences. I, I find, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel that. Um, um, okay. That was, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounded like it was rough, but I mean, you're, you got by, you know, somehow yeah. <laughs> you, you're here with us talking and you just, you know, you just published a book. So I'm, I'm glad you're looking better, man. Thank you, sir. Um, during the time that you were a porn star, though, uh, did you have any normal po- uh, partners who weren't in the industry? And, like, how would they feel about you, you know, being in that industry? And, like, do, how often would you disclose it to them? Would you be like, hey, look, I fuck for a living? Uh, it just it didn't work. I So, no. I, I mean, I, yes, I had sex with people who weren't in the industry and probably developed crushes and so forth. But... Um, 
it it was always one of two things one is um i think people kind of thought of me as like a novelty like uh, oh i get to fuck a porn star and then for me to to do that it just feels like there's this pressure or this list like it just i don't know it's not enjoyable because then it feels like i'm putting on a show and then the other end of it is even if people because they think they're so fucking like sexually progressive that they don't have feelings or whatever think that they can deal with this i i, I think it's very difficult for um anyone to who's not doing sex work to date someone who's doing sex work i mean i've seen i don't know if i know of anyone who's had a really long-term successful relationship like that i think it can work if you're both doing it and that those were my relationships that were you know that lasted for a few years uh it was with other people who were also in porn because i think we had an understanding that this is of what work means and then what right. our personal life means. But I never found a balance outside of that. Makes sense. I think uh, nowadays we're seeing a, a influx of just, you know, normal people who do sex work on the side. Right. It is a side hustle for them. Like you see, I mean, even with this COVID-19 stuff, I have about six or seven friends who have made only fans within the last week. Right. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I think right now we're in like, uh, kind of a weird not a weird time but it's like a time where your partners want to support you no matter what because the thing is uh i feel like porn uh, being in the industry like actually doing scenes with other people um that is a lot it's a heavier grasp than say you making an only fans and posting butt pictures and shit you know just like oh yeah you know (laughs) there's a whole different stigma right nowadays than it was say 10 years ago when like no one was doing that for themselves and making their own money off of an OnlyFans or like a premium snapchat but nowadays i mean like you have a friend that makes a premium snapchat you're dating her you know you're like hell yeah fucking take that <laughs> feet pick get 50 bucks you know <laughs> yeah i think you're right i mean the fact that you're saying this probably speaks a lot to it but from my understanding the industry has changed drastically to even people like here's an example my so i actually went to the porn hub awards a couple years ago because my fiance who's an artist um did an art installation for them as crazy as that sounds but um it was very cool and they invited her to the porn hub awards and it was it was kind of a big uh awakening for me or realization for me that um you know the old way of porn the the mainstream porn industry that i worked in was really not that relevant anymore because the people getting the awards were not these big porn stars they were like the usernames of whoever these amateur people that uploaded and the views that these people are getting were astronomically higher than the people i know as porn stars uh, and so <laughs> also you, you see the people in the porn industry, they're mostly not making money from big studios anymore. And the people that I still keep in contact with all make their own content. Um, they're trying, I think in many cases not to work for the studios anymore. Cause it's, I think the only thing that that really helps you with is like advertising essentially. Like if right. you shoot for browsers, uh, you're going to be put in front of a lot more people so that they'll know about your only fans and your, and your many vids and your 
personal Pornhub channel and so forth, <laughs> and hopefully you'll get more fans so you can cam and hook and yeah. whatever the fuck you want to do. But we um, live in uh, more of a homemade porn era, is how I like to describe it. Right. <laughs> Like you said, the fact that you went to the porn awards and that it's all usernames, just like these regular people that decided to get in front of a camera, it speaks volumes about where the industry is and where it's been like been heading for the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm only aware of like because uh, I was up until last year, I was still editing for a few studios, and it's just the money was getting worse and worse and. Uh, I just said, fuck it. I mean, finally, thank God, like, my friend and I got, were able to, like, launch his production company and, and work for stuff that isn't adult-oriented. But, yeah, I still uh, cut for this company called Erica Lust, which does, they're, like, a European-based company that does kind of, like, feminist feature films and stuff like that. Um, and for whatever reason, they still have quite a bit of funding. But for for everyone else, I'm aware of like there's just no money in it, and even and I understand why people are doing OnlyFans and stuff like that, and more power to them. But you know, it's the same as like YouTube content creators and everything else. I mean, a lot of these people I think are just barely getting by because it's so impacted. There's just way too many people doing it. Right. Um, there's a saturation of them. Yeah. If, like, you know, 300 people are making an OnlyFans, I mean, the guy with 10 bucks is only going to buy one of them. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, there's always, there are, like, big fish out there, but you have to find someone who's, like, obsessed with you, and then that comes with its own kind of perks and and uh pros and cons yeah your pros and cons were you ever in a situation where you had someone like that where you know you had like a a serious fan or someone that was like really into you and they like they wouldn't let off oh yeah of course um and you know some of those situations weren't terrible and i'm actually thankful for for some of them they've got me by in really bad times um but that I would typically only do that because I didn't I didn't tend to advertise myself that much. But in the couple of years after I got out of porn, like, you know, people would email me. And if I f- saw that there was kind of an in that they might be interested in paying for this or that, I would kind of indulge it. But uh, I think that my problem <laughs> ultimately is if I found one of those people who was like very into me for one way or another, I would, I think I would play into the game of, of their sort of emotional involvement to a point where it became really draining for me. And I feel like this happened numerous times. And then (laughs) I would just get stressed out eventually and just, just ghost them because like, because they would claim they'd fallen in love with me or like, make these big plans for our life or something and you know in my head i'm just playing this role essentially but you know i when i look back on it i was like yes i said this and that to kind of facilitate them believing these things um (laughs) so uh yeah i i i don't know i don't want to do that shit anymore and i don't thank god but um it's just complicated i'd I'd rather keep my life a little bit (laughs) a little bit more cut and dry have right. a relationship. I'm a big fan of just monogamy. Like, 
see, this is where I'm at in my life. I want to, I want to be a Christian. I get married. <laughs> you you um, want to be a Christian? Well, you want to get married? Know. You want to yeah. just chill at home? <laughs> I don't know if I really want to be a Christian, but it sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I, I have uh, just like two more questions. Um, yeah. How is recording your video with BuzzFeed? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I think when I did that, it was uh, I was still trying to kind of capitalize on on being Danny Wild and so forth. So I thought that would be a good idea. Um, maybe it was a good idea. It was funny. They just, you know, they have these kind of like YouTube personalities who hang out with you, watch your porn with you, say funny things. I mean, I don't know. At this day and age, well, I mean, you do a <laughs> podcast, you do, I don't know. Just fucking, what else are you going to do for fun? Throw shit at wall, see what sticks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here we are, like 50 episodes into a podcast. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw, throwing shit at walls. I hope this works. Maybe they'll like that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, I understand. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, uh, uh, I think, uh, oh, do you have one more question, Mer? Yeah, just the last one. Um, for, you know, for you doing this in the industry, what, what kind of workout regiment were you like doing to yourself to be able to keep up with what the industry was wanting? Like, was it very intense? Were you, like, working out as, like, after work? Like, what kind of, you know? Oh, yeah. Kind of... Uh, well, I wasn't always paying in a crazy amount of attention. Certainly when I was in school, I was probably in less good of shape. I think when I was at the height of my career, when I had kind of decided I was doing it for a living, uh, yeah, I paid really close attention to my workout routine. I would, yeah, so I would go to, I would fuck. <laughs> I would come home most days of the week and go to the gym. Um, and I was in great shape, and I wish I was in that good of shape now. But uh, I do not fuck for a living, so it's hard to. It's hard to. We're I on work out still, now, but yeah, you know. We're on, We're trying to get married. We're trying to just chill out at home. Remember? <laughs> yeah, but I still, you know, I have some. I would like to be in good shape. I don't know. I want to get back to my birth weight. Sounds good. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm, I'm very not body positive at all. I feel like that's a terrible movement. I feel like we should all be incredibly self-conscious and unhappy with ourselves. So. <laughs> uh, Truth. Yeah. And we, 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 we are. Come on. You're, I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's oh, everyone's unhappy with something about themselves, yeah. like and whatnot. Like I stepped on a scale today, and it was very sad. Oh no! It was, but it was good. That means that there's improvements to be made. There's stuff to do <laughs> in this existence. <laughs> I went to the doctors yeah. a couple of weeks ago before this COVID shit, and they had to weigh me, and it was it was devastating. I don't know what to say. <laughs> devastating. Uh. Mur, are you done with your your with your yeah, porn I, questions? I I just want to say thank you. I know that like you know you're uh, off from that industry and like you know talking about it could be all over the place because you know it was just a past life I would say at this point, huh? Yeah, more so, or less. I mean, whatever. I'll, I'll answer whatever question you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
What's your uh, favorite color? <laughs> it's probably black. I don't know. <laughs> wow, mine too. Um, true metal kids. Right. Yeah. I like greens and reds and blacks. <laughs> really? You're like a Christmas metal kid, huh? <laughs> Christmas metal. You know, you're not wrong. Oh. Oh, That's man. fair. Blues. Anyway, so beside the point. Uh, to bring this all back to uh, the horror, I guess the horror genre. <laughs> yeah. uh, to bring this all, to bring this all back. Um, one last question for you is: What do you appreciate about the horror genre, and do you have any favorite films or media of mm-hmm. horror? What do I appreciate about the horror genre? You know, I like to say that I'm a big horror fan, and yet I don't. I mean, I watch the big horror movies every year that everyone talks about, like the Ari Aster movies and stuff like that. And and I, I gotta say, probably in the last few years, those have been my favorite. Um, I thought I'm a huge fan of Hereditary. Um, I know it's a kind of divide down the middle movie. Right. So no, that's a cool. That's a cool one. The Hereditary's good. Yeah, we we liked it. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Uh, and what the follow-up Midsommar was pretty fun. Midsommar was excellent. <laughs> yeah, I just saw Invisible Man on the. Oh, uh, I still need to see that. Oh, I think we're getting to that one next. Yeah, I think, yeah. or at some point soon. It was, I think, really well done. I mean, it's kind of, it's not like horrific or whatever, but it's, um, it's just a nice, just slick-looking thriller that just reminds me of those. We used to have these movies in the 90s all the time. And I don't know. Now they need to be a little bit woke, I understand. And it certainly has that vibe. But, um, yeah, I thought it was really good. It was just kept you on the edge of your seat. In terms of, like, real horror movies that I love. I mean, I, I grew up, like, very into finding anything that was just, like, upsetting. So I <laughs> I, I loved, like kind of like the uh, Takashi Miike Japanese splatter movies, uh, like Ichi the Killer. Yeah. Hell yeah. I, Ichi I loved, the Killer's dope. Yeah, I loved um, fucking the, those early Gaspar No movies, like Irreversible. That's not really a horror movie, but, it, you know, I just like to see, I don't know, I was kind of into just seeing anything that was like over-the-top violent Um and these days, I don't know if I care as much, but I just like something that's that looks really stylized. So I think the best thing we have right now is like these Ari Aster movies because he's got a budget, you know? Yeah, A24 has been knocking it out of the park with movies <laughs> yeah, lately. Yeah. It's just, at least I think both of those were on A24. Yeah. They from yeah. The yes, they, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, they just been—they've all been making really good films lately, and like not just like oh, as like this is good for the horror genre. They're just like good films in general. I think they just—they're <laughs> yeah. just making good movies. I agree with you. Um, so you you said that you like these more stylized kind of things nowadays, right? Yeah, I mean, kind of like something yeah. with the budget. Look, it looks you know pleasing to the eye. Have you checked out The Lighthouse by Robert Eggers? Yes, sir. I want to see that uh, in theaters. So, you know what? The end of that movie, that final shot. I mean, you've all seen it, right? I'm not. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We did a whole. Oh, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. We all yeah, watched yeah. it. 
That's fucking beautiful. I, I love every part of that movie when they're not talking. But I have to say, <laughs> I found it to be um, very, like, in the actor's studio type. Like, we're in this era right now where we have, I don't, I don't know what it is, but, like, movies like that and The Joker, where you're, obviously, these actors are very good at what they do and are delivering amazing performances, but it's, like, I don't care about this men writhing and screaming at you for two hours and doing these very actory things. I, that's not that interesting to me. I think the moments where he's staring into the lighthouse and you see his face start to like uh, distort and that sort of soundtrack that's happening and the, the, the fucking birds pecking out his dead body and it looks like a painting. I mean, these are like really amazing cinematic moments but the kind of like let two men yell at each other for 15 minutes at a time i just uh it's not entertaining to me i gotta say i don't i don't like it i feel that it's more of like the uh the less is more kind of kind of thing where it's just like they are telling you a lot out of just a very quiet scene where you'd rather see a whole movie of that rather than you know, just a bunch of people yelling back and forth. Uh, yes. For example, if we're going to talk about another, like, big budget stylized... I love Mandy. Oh, yes. yeah. We fucking oh, yeah. love yeah, Mandy. Yeah, we did another episode movie. on that one as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, you don't have... I mean, obviously, there's, like, the Nicolas Cage screaming and <laughs> and the <laughs> aftermath of his uh, wife being killed or whatever and his crazy performance but it's just like there are just so many amazing cinematic moments in that film and yeah i don't know i don't i'm not that interested in actors at this point i just want to i want to see something kind of uh i mean i feel like you want like a whole package deal not to interrupt you but a whole package deal where it's like i want a good story i want some decent delivery and like a decent script and like let's get it to the end of the story and rather than like (laughs) focusing on all of these like it's like it's like listening to like i don't know listening to like ingve malmstein go off on something you're like sure you're playing a billion notes who who gives a shit like what are you like taking us to where are you saying etc that's a very good analogy yeah because he is yeah he's a good he's yep. good at his guitar i don't know but yep. yeah do you yeah, want to listen to it yeah but where exactly but where is he taking us like you know like yeah exactly but yeah i i, I see exactly where you're coming from i really liked the lighthouse but i can totally see why it would drag some people and why it was so uh like the divided on when far as opinion goes it was very yeah, much like it and you should like it I'm mm-hmm. glad you enjoyed it. And I yeah. I, I didn't dislike it. Is that, yeah. Am I saying that correctly? I liked some yeah. I think the end of that movie was was beautiful, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I really, really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about yourself and about things that are interesting to you as far as, like, the films, the books, the content, things like that. Um, where can people find your works? Like, do you have a website? Are you on social medias and things like that? Yeah, um, it's hard to it's hard to spell my name. I'm very so I'm I'm fucking up on the SEO side of things. <laughs> well, but, we'll uh, definitely put it on the the episode itself so people can just copy paste. 
Yeah, I have a website. It's ChristopherSyshag.com and it has links to all that shit. Um, I'm also on Twitter as Chris Syshag. I'm on Instagram as Chris Syshag. I'm on Facebook as Christopher Syshag. I'm talking about my my like brand site. You can find me yeah. on my personal Facebook, but unless... Well, I'll, I'll accept your guys' friend request, but if right. it's some like someone who listens to this, probably not. <laughs> yeah, <you. laughs> that makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, the recent book actually is a little bit hard to get if you don't know where to find it, because um, it's on a very small press and they hate Amazon and oh, um, gotcha. <laughs> have decided not to sell there. So you have to get it either in a store which is not possible right now because we're on fucking lockdown yes or you have to go to their website which is amphetamine sulfate.com which i have links on all the all the websites and social pages so i don't know if you want to buy it it looks cool it's a big fat book yeah i mean we'll figure out a way to serial killer zine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll figure out a way to get a link for it that way people can go take a look just real quick do you guys have any recommendations on horror movies i should see that are new ish uh, what, are, what are some new movies that came out <laughs> well definitely the ones I... we've mentioned <laughs> go ahead well i i will say the color out of space was a fun right. one if you're that was looking cool. for more nicholas cage more <laughs> It's on my list. I haven't gotten to it yet. So you recommend it? I heard some people, my friend Chad said it's like one of the worst movies he's seen recently. But you we don't agree on a lot of things. For sure. Yeah, we don't agree on a lot of things. So I'll take, I'll watch it. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it was, I, I enjoyed Color Out of Space a lot, especially if you're like, like the Lovecraftian side right. of things when it comes to horror stuff. And it has a lot of that in it. And it was, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a movie Nicolas Cage would be. <laughs> well, he's do- man, he's having like I a mean, horror film renaissance with his career. And it's yeah, great. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. I mean, even like the director of it, what did he did one movie called Hardware, I think, yeah. in like the early nineties, which I haven't seen, but there's a whole bunch of horror movies I haven't seen in this world. So <laughs> but yeah, I'd say that's a recent one that was yeah. super cool. Uh, I would recommend the film Revenge, which we also did a podcast episode Uh, on. And it's just, it's exactly what it is. It's a straight revenge film um, where a girl gets taken out to the middle of the desert and they leave her for dead. And then she hunts these men down for the rest of the movie. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. I'll, I'll check that out too. What about you, Mer? Uh, I said color out of space. Oh wait, that's right. Mitch, Mitch is the one. Yeah, I, 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 man, if I had like another, I mean, we've gone, we've already pretty much already gone over all the movies that I've seen this year that were like horror. But we already talked about, you know, Midsummer that came out not not too long right. ago. Uh, color out of space stuff that I mean, we've already talked about it all. Those would be my only recommendations. Okay. Well, um, yeah. my lady is calling. It looks like I gotta go eat dinner. Oh no! no. Yeah. Go live, go live this monogamous Christian lifestyle. I am gonna live this monogamous Christian lifestyle. So she would nice. be upset if I promote the Christianity. We don't agree oh, okay. on this uh, uh, one. <laughs> hey Chris, thank you so much for yes. talking with us. Uh, wow. it, it, it's Very great. nice talking to you, man. 
likewise uh, thank you for having me on the podcast and um yeah i'll hope i hope we communicate via the internet soon oh yeah definitely. Yeah. oh yeah we will we'll let you know when the website when the episode's up and yes posted. exactly wonderful we'll have a, a great evening fellows oh, well. <laughs> take it easy have a good night Chris. All right. uh, you too bye-bye uh so before i let everybody go i just want to remind you all we're super easy to find on all of the streaming services so you can find us on the main ones we are on spotify we're also on the apple podcast google play music and iHeartRadio, or pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts you can also find us on social media at bdtgh underscore podcast as well as the website which is bdt bdtgh podcast.com and you can listen to the episodes there but thank you so much for listening i hope everyone has a good night i'm mitch i'm mer and i'm jonathan thank you (laughs) god damn it mitch